ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Wicked Side. My name is Brenna, and you know my co-host, Tom. Hey, how you doing? And with us today, we actually have a little bit of a, a special um, third guest host, I guess. My son Aiden is back with us, but he will probably primarily be silent. He's not a talkative guy. Oh, but oh you might hear I plan him on awkwardly time. pitching him the ball a few times. Oh, please. Want <laughs> <laughs> to say hi? Yo. <laughs> There you go. So in today's episode, I um, wanted to kind of give you guys a, a little bit of a, a hint as to what we're doing. This episode is going to come out on Halloween, and since it is coming off on Halloween, we wanted to do something that was not subtle at all. I'm sorry. I picked the worst cup for this. It's so much ice, and it's like fucking empty. I mean, hey, all right, whatever. We're all right. intros. We are. We are masters of that. <laughs> we go, it's so smooth. It's yeah, just, every time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. But anyway, since it's, ho- it's going to be released on Halloween, we wanted to do a Halloween kind of icon. And uh, that led us to the absolute wonderful gentleman warrior that was Christopher Lee. You mean the metal singer? The you mean singer. the actor? Yes. The stage performer? Yes. The... And the Nazi hunter. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this guy, I, the, the, didn't he, wasn't he like one of the inspirations for James Bond? Like, wasn't that one we of the We will things? actually get into that. He is a fucking legend. Talk yep. about like living life to your, the fullest. The man was all kinds of places at the same time. Amazing, yeah. Fucking love it. It, to do so much and master so much and to take his craft so seriously. Um, just the, to, and, to live the, like, I'm not just this artist or that, that artist. I am mm-hmm. an artist. Like, yes. he does. He's just an artist. Yes. He has, and a gentleman and a scholar, just incredibly intelligent man. Very, very, I don't know, just... He had kind of a grace and an aura about him that I don't think oh, no, I mean, we see that often in people. And it was know? so great to see him in so many roles where it was where you got to see that aura on ten to set to you know what I mean yes. where he was playing these very commanding presences or very like oh oh I love. I mean, his voice just says wizard authority. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So we're going to get into that. We're going to go over some things maybe you don't know about him. Maybe some things you do. I, I have a feeling you probably know most of it, but some of it I think you're going to find really cool. Because so, right. I know you love him. And I figured that's why it would be also be like a good uh, good topic to cover for today. Because so, oh, yeah. he's just, he's an interesting dude. So we'll go ahead and start. Nah, let's end. Fuck it. No, we're not going to do All that. Right. Let's go. <laughs> So I really wanted to talk about this man. Like I said, he's such an amazing stage presence. And everybody who's seen any of his films, you remember him. Even after the film is done, you still remember him. Even mm-hmm. if it's a small bit role, you remember him. He's just one of those dudes that stands out. He's stood at six feet, five inches with that very deep and warm voice. And just commanded attention on the screen on stage whatever he was doing um what <laughs> get your eyes <laughs> <laughs> he's over here looking like a child that just got caught in the cookie jar 
I wanted to quietly get my eyes and not attract attention. And I mean, I'm sorry that you blew all of that cover, but... <laughs> okay, well... Focus! Yeah. Professionalism! Let's, uh-huh. let's go! Let's keep an eye on the ball here. Oh my god. I tried so hard. <laughs> <laughs> You're an ass. I know. <laughs> Tried so hard to do it too. Oh god. Anyway, let's start with his early life. I think it's easy for us to sometimes see somebody who's an actor or a musician and forget that they have their own origin story. And in Lee's case, the origin story is very dramatic to say the least. His parents were both impressive in their own right. His father, Jeffrey Lee, was a military man who served with distinction during World War I and earned recognition during the Battle of Song. Now, it's spelled S-O-M-M-E, but I always hear it pronounced so it sounds like song. Okay. But I I don't know if it's... So I don't know if it's psalm or song. Every time I hear it said in any any documentary or anything like that, it's always song. Hmm. So... Okay. And his mother was an Italian countess named Estelle Marie Carandini di Sarzano. Oh, hell yeah. Yes. Her lineage could be traced all the way back to Charlemagne. So he is a direct descendant of Charlemagne. As if, you know, everything else isn't already bad. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so... He could have pulled Excalibur, kind of. You know what I mean? (laughs) This man was asking for greatness before he was even born. It seems (laughs) that way, yeah. They uh, had already had one child together, Christopher's older sister, Zandra, who was born in 1917. They welcomed their son, Sir Christopher Frank Cardini Lee, into the world on May 27th of 1922. His parents, however, divorced in 1926, and for the next two years... He lived in Switzerland with his mother and his sister. So, wait, do you think they divorced because of the army brat or the Italian countess? Like, who do you think was the bigger bitchy or one of that relationship? I have no idea, but it, it, from everything that I researched, they said it was just wasn't a happy marriage. Oh, and I bet not. You're talking about two people used to get in their way all the time. Exactly. Like, acquiescence isn't in their vocabulary. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, Jeffrey was away a lot. He was a career soldier. Yeah. That's what he, you know, that was where his love was, so he went where he was told to go, and... Yeah, fair enough. You know, that many wasn't there that much, and I can understand it, so... Man. So, well, wait, they, who'd he go with, then? His mother. Okay. I just said that. I know, I missed no. it. That's why I was re-asking. Okay. Yeah. Jeez, just, just... Calm down. Calm down. <laughs> Don't make me get the bag of M&M's over that. I will Whatever. start. I, we will. Are you going to start throwing M&M's at me? Like, no, no, no. Give it to her. Like, a Sure. I'm gonna like lean forward <laughs> and then make just distinct crunching noises oh, near the microphone. God, you would. You... Oh yeah. You would. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just open mouth chewing too. I... That sounded more like you were like. I mean, you take it however you want it. That's your mind, dear. That's that's your mind. Oh god. All right. Okay. He went with he went with mom. They split. All right. Where were we? Yeah. They spent two years in Switzerland. Okay. There we go. Yeah. While there, Estelle enrolled her son in Miss Fisher's academy for his preschool years, and here he had his very first acting role as the lead in *Ruffled Stillskin*. That's cool. Yeah. So in 1928, his mother moved them back to England, where he attended Agnes Private School in Queensgate, London. And in 1929, Estelle remarried to a banker named Harcourt George St. Croix. Oh, yeah. What a fucking name. 
Hey. <laughs> what a fucking name. Hey, though. This lady's got standards. I uh, yeah. say, everyone's just got fancy names here. Exactly. You gotta love old world stuff for that. Like, yeah. We got all this, uh, but then you have Jeffrey Lee. There's something we like, lo- like the closer we got to the 20th century, the less, like, extraordinary names became, yeah. the less, I guess, flamboyant, as it simple. were. Yeah, yeah. His stepfather just happened to have a nephew who was a young writer, and that nephew's name, Ian Fleming. Oh, yeah. There yep. you go. And if that sounds vaguely familiar to those who don't know, it's because Fleming created the infamous character of James Bond. Yeah. Yep. Later in his life, Lee would actually get to play the titular man with the golden gun. Which is, mm, so good. So yep. ironic. He was actually, um, from the research I did, he was meant to play the role of Dr. No. Okay. And Fleming had intended for him to play the role. But the directors didn't realize that. So they had already cast somebody else. He didn't get the role. He didn't get uh, that role. He got the Man of the Golden Gun. So, I mean, ironic. It's just still ironic. Mm-hmm. Like, just shows you how bad casters can be sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I have a list of, of uh, parts he passed on. Wait till we get to that. Oh, hell yes. Yeah. Let's go. So Parts he personally said fuck that. Some some were scheduling conflicts okay. that All didn't right. work out, and Fair some enough. were as he got older, he just couldn't All keep right. up with a hectic schedule. So, yeah, fuck that. I'm retired for a reason. <laughs> he refused to retire. Oh, did he? He was not a man who wanted to slow down at all. Damn. All right, keep going. Sure, yep. Like him. <laughs> right. I already like the guy. Hella intrigued. Right. Yep. <laughs> he even made friends with a uh, another young man who would grow up to become an actor as well. Daniel Patrick McNee starred in a detective series called The Avengers, which was largely popular, yeah. Yeah. And he also uh, played Sherlock Holmes in a few very memorable roles. Both would act together in several school plays during this time. Speaking of The Avengers, could you imagine, like, you know, a modern Doctor Strange played by Christopher Lee? Uh, I know, I know, it's not the same Avengers people. I, I, I hundred percent understand know, it. But, oh. but uh, wouldn't he like him right, in that role? Give him, you know, back. Okay, get instead of the Sauron days or the Sauron days. Let's get the let's get Christopher Lee Sauron days to play a wizened Doctor Strange or something. Oh, that would have been gorgeous. Uh, it would have been so much fun. <sighs> The voice. I mean, the voice. It's the voice. To be fair, though, I do think Benedict Cumberbatch was a fantastic choice. I like him in that role. That's Doctor Strange. Yeah. So, why are you giving me that look? Every time I say, every time someone says his name, I just want to say it wrong. I just want to make up whatever it is and say it wrong. Uh, I've I've had that joke happen so many times. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I refuse to say his name correctly at this point. So, and, but the stupid thing the man, is, I've heard it all those different ways, uh-huh. and I've heard it first, and I still knew exactly who they were talking about yeah. every uh-huh. flipping time. So yeah. not hard. Nope. That poor man is doomed. <laughs> oh, all right. So now we're getting into the young man years. As he grew, he wished to attend Eton College in Windsor. Most students who attended the boarding school he was at. Uh, were actually being groomed to attend Eton. However, his stepfather refused to pay for Eton, despite his Stell's insistence. He applied for a scholarship, but he missed it by one place, after having a bit of trouble with my own personal nemesis, math. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that made me feel much better. <laughs> right? <laughs> math sucks for Christopher Lee, it's okay for me. Exactly. <laughs> 
Instead, he attended Wellington College from the ages of 14 to 17, and there he learned about, he learned for his talent for languages, so. Like, what kind of talent for languages are we talking? Uh, we'll get into that. So, he mastered French, Spanish, Italian, and German, while also gaining a bit of Swedish, Greek, and Russian. Enough to be passable and have conversations. Wow. Not a full mastery, but... That's, uh... Yeah. That's fine. This guy was just a jack-of-all-trades. Yeah. So, I didn't have Not just a jack-of-all-trades, but, like, a master of so many. Yeah. It wasn't just, like, jack-of-all, master of one, or anything like that. No, it was a master of so, so many, and a jack of very few, like... (laughs) Yeah. I bet you this guy cooked a mean omelet, too. <laughs> I bet you he could make a breakfast and knock it your fucking socks off. It just wasn't anything he couldn't do. Right! So, yeah. Dance and sing while he did it. I just, I can only imagine. I don't have this like in the script, but I learned this while I was researching. So, he received an award for acting in Italy, uh-huh. and he gave his entire acceptance speech in fluent Italian. Yeah! Because so, classy. Because of course he did. Yeah, because yeah, so, classy. That's what you would do. Exactly. Because you're classy. He, uh, however, didn't really care for the school. He didn't like the harshly regimented structure of it all. And they were also, I guess, because everything was starting to heat up for World War II about this time. It was, everybody knew it was coming. So they were also started doing, like, yard exercises and things like that with the young men in preparedness. In preparation. I guess, yeah. Kind of hated that. After his stepfather went bankrupt, however, he wasn't entirely saddened to have to leave the school. Unfortunately, he didn't get to um, finish. (laughs) And that was in 1939. I like him. After this, he went job hunting. Mm -hmm. But because of the time frame, he struggled to find work. This actually led him to join his sister in France. And in both an interesting and grim twist, he learned that the last public execution would take place in Paris. A German serial killer by the name of Eugene Weidman was beheaded via guillotine. June 17th of 1939. So how did they know he was going to be last? They announced it. Oh, man. That's got to suck to be that guy. Like, yeah. <laughs> how am I holding this shitty golden ticket? Couldn't get I... any other great golden tickets in my life. But I got to be the <laughs> last fucking this execution. Oh, great. Cool. Cool. Well, I did research a little bit on this particular flavor of douchebag. And, yeah, he kind of deserved it. All right. So. Fair enough. <laughs> I don't feel that sorry for him. But Lee was there to witness it. And to be honest, uh, I'm considering doing an episode of Eugene Weidman later just because it's an interesting story. Very much of historical significance. So, and of course, fits in with a dark theme, huh? Okay, I'll take it, yeah. (laughs) However, for now, let's get back to Lee. After this, he went to stay with exiled Russian princely family members. (laughs) Okay. Who had, or, uh... The bourgeoisie! (laughs) Ex-wild Russian princely family not that had ties to his mother. So I don't know if they were actually family members, but they had ties to his mother in some way, shape, or form. But with war on the horizon, he returned to London just to be safe, where he worked as a clerk for a while. Now we get to the point of Lee's life that some may know about and others don't. We're going to get into his military service during World War II. He slayed a fucking dragon during World War II, didn't he? <laughs> He rode one at least. He found one. It was like a secret mission on behalf of king and country, and the motherfucker rode a dragon. He didn't even slay it. He was too cool. He was like, no, I will 
preserve the last dragon because I am an honorable officer. Like, yeah, yeah, it's for real. What do you do during World War II? Like, it's incredible up to this fucking point. Uh, it gets so much better. All right, let's it go. It gets so... Step well, on the gas, Christopher Lee. <laughs> better and worse at the same time. So, anyway, now we go in, of course, like I said, to his military service. So, believe it or not, at the time, Lee was too young to join the service in a conventional way. So, what did he do? Him and his friends actually packed up and traveled to Finland sometime in September of 1939, hoping to give assistance there. But the young men ran into a very small problem. None of them could actually ski. And um, at the time, and the terrain... So he invented snowboarding. (laughs) No. Damn. (laughs) No, basically him and his friends, you know, were thanked, then patted on the head and shipped back home. So. Uh, they got the Steve Rogers treatment. Yeah, kind of. yeah, yeah. Like, look. They didn't know they were fucking with Captain Britain over there. They did not. They had no idea. So when does he get the super soldier serum? <laughs> <laughs> Calm down. All right, my bad. Go ahead. I like this story so far. It's pretty great. Uh, not the most auspicious start to a man who we've been hyping up the whole episode, but stick with me. Once in London, he went back to work as a clerk, and in 1940, when he was 18, he joined the Home Guard. Now, for those who don't know, the Home Guard was actually a citizen's militia organized during World War II to aid British forces. They were men who, for various reasons, were unable to serve in the kind of typical military sense. So they basically stayed home and had an organized system at home to take care of family and country. Yeah, kind of like a militia, you know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. They, they were basically also meant to be like a secondary defense force in the event of an invasion. Yeah. yeah. Sadly, it was during this time that Christopher's father passed away. And while he respected his father's military service, he also didn't want the life of an everyday soldier. Since he knew it was likely he would be conscript, conscripted or as we call drafted here in America, um, he took his fate into his own hands and volunteered to fight in the Royal Air Force. Although this sadly didn't last, he began blacking out while flying, which, for obvious reasons, is a huge problem. He was diagnosed with a failed optic nerve, which meant that he could never fly again. But this wasn't going to slow Lee down. He then applied to the intelligence branch of the Royal Air Force, and for a brief time he worked in a military prison. Then he went into intelligence gathering. He worked for the department in charge of decoding German ciphers. Oh, there you go. As I said, he was a, he was a master with languages so where else are you gonna put a man like that yeah i already know all of the relevant ones in this war exactly he had this to say about his service during the time i was attached to the sas from time to time but we are forbidden former present and future to discuss any specific operations let's just say i was in special forces and leave it at that people can read into that what they like there you go. And that's the correct answer for many men who's done that job. <laughs> yep. like, there you go. The website forces.net where I got most of his service history, which if anybody is doing any kind of military history, forces.net, great resource. Awesome. I fully recommend going to look because they've it's really comprehensive. It's well written. Um, they include photos and it, it was just really well done. Uh, Shout out to them. Fully recommend them. Anyway, when pressed by an eager reporter on his SAS past, he leaned forward and whispered to the man, can you keep a secret? Yes, the interview replied breathless with excitement. So can I, replied a smilingly sitting back. (laughs) Perfect answers. (laughs) 
Exactly. This man just shoots bullseyes. That's what he does. <laughs> like, oops. Master of comebacks. Yes. One. <laughs> Bang. Silver bullets. Here you go. You get one shot. Bang. You get one shot. I wasn't actually sure where to put that quote, but it was too cool. I couldn't leave it out, so I had to include it. He Ooh. was uh, then posted in North Africa for a time, where he was actively part of a team that went from Egypt to Benghazi. There, they would sneak behind enemy lines and sabotage Luftwaffe planes and in airfields. Yeah, of course he did. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and this is what I mean when I call him a badass. I can't yeah. imagine the fear and tension in yeah. doing something like that behind enemy lines. Yeah, him and the Howling Commandos. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, I've I read all this in the comics. I know, right? Keep going. This sounds the way. They totally ripped this story off. <laughs> Oh, so, wait, wait. Wait, so when does Wolverine pop up? I just, I want to know, do we get a crossover here? Go ahead. This comic uh, is great. Right? It's fucking wow. I know, it's yeah. like everything I learned. I'm like, dude. And mind you, at this time, he he left the service at 24. Yeah. So this is all before the age of 24. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. guys live Meanwhile, yeah. I think, like, I was blackout drunk somewhere yeah. <laughs> at 24. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you were blackout drunk on my couch at 24. Not at 24. At 24, I was working, but I was definitely blackout drunk mostly every night. That that dried up quickly, but man, yeah, that I, early that early 20s, oh god, that was so much drinking I certainly beer. wasn't doing this. Oh, I was drinking the cheapest, shittiest beer and working the uh, longest, yes. nastiest hours. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh god, what was that one that we always used to drink? Southern Comfort. Oh yeah, yes, yeah, That yeah. was our drink of choice when we were Dude. broke. <laughs> yeah, Southern Comfort and whatever knockoff Dr. Pepper. Oh yeah, yeah. oh go. yeah, that was it. Hopefully the ice is free, otherwise this is going to be a warm cocktail. <laughs> Somebody please refill the ice trays. I'm sorry, I had flashbacks to early drinking. Oh, yep. oh my god, cheap beer. Oh, jeez. I got heartburn just thinking about it. Right. Oh. <laughs> wine, for me, I, like, I was trying so hard to be sophisticated. And I do like wine now. I didn't like it then. I was making myself drink it because I thought I should, you know, kind of yeah. thing. Because that's what other young women were drinking. and. Mm. Yeah, and I just remember, like, hating every second of it. See, for me, it, and, and I don't know. I like I'm whiskey, to, I like bourbon. That's, yeah, that's where I'm too. happy. Like, I know I'm happy there. Yeah. I will try literally anything else Yeah. in the liquor department. And now I like I like wine now, but, like... I'm still not a fan of reds, the lighter ones. I don't I, like dry wine. I know you're supposed to, but yeah. I prefer sweets, yeah. sweet wines, so... Yeah. But that's the thing. I don't like sweet liquor at all. I, yeah. I, we don't want to get into this conversation. This is a whole nother podcast. <laughs> He's been a whole episode just on alcohol. A whole whiskey so. cabinet and glasses. Yeah, exactly. We can actually try it and get drunk when we talk about it. But let's get back to Christopher Lee. <laughs> I'm literally stuck here. Like, <laughs> My underage son is sitting here like, what's alcohol? Right? Right? <laughs> Well, I know what it is, but I'm not gonna drink it until. That's that's my boy. That's the correct answer, sir. (laughs) Way to Christopher Leah. Exactly. (laughs) Oh man. Should just be a new adjective, new term. (laughs) When you knock something out of the park, I Christopher lead that shit, bro. I just fucking you don't even know. (laughs) Oh, I love it. While the Axis surrendered in 1943, Lee became part of... What are you doing? 
scared the shit out of me. <laughs> lunch for the M&M's. I'm sorry, I couldn't take it anymore. The giant yellow bag was too much to resist. Just calling your name. <laughs> shit. All I see is a quick movement going across because my head's down reading my script and I'm like, ah, what the fuck? You got Christopher oh. Lee that shit never miss a beat. <laughs> You think he would have blinked? We've already established I am not him. <laughs> he could have had an assassin try to come after him on stage and he'd have killed him and never <laughs> missed the line reading. He <laughs> would never have skipped that shit. Yeah, he never got like the fascination with Chuck Norris. We have Christopher Lee. Why did we need Chuck Norris? <laughs> fair. Musical fair comparison. <laughs> oh, good. Anyway, where was I? Um, while the Axis surrendered in 1943, Lee became part of an... Uh, officer swap where he served with the Gurkhans Gurkhas of the 8th Indian Infantry Division. I know. I'm I'm not sure how to say Uh, that. Watching you pronounce foreign names is part of the reason I do this podcast. Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Fair, but fuck off. (laughs) And he served with distinction during the um, Battle of Monte Cassino. For those who don't know, this was... A unit that specialized mostly in jungle warfare. They served in India, Syria, and against the Japanese in Burma and Singapore. <laughs> I got a brief overview of the Battle of Monte Cassino from Wikipedia, um, and this is what it had to say. The Battle of Monte Cassino, also known as the Battle for Rome and the Battle for Cassino, was a costly series of four assaults by the Allies against the Winter Line in Italy held by Axis forces during the Italian campaign of World War II. The intention was to break through to Rome. So that's what that was. Jeez. Yes. After this, he was assigned to the Special Operatives Executive conducting uh, espionage, sabotage. Oh, this is where he joined S.H.I.E.L.D. Look, <laughs> see that? this is where he joined S.H.I.E.L.D. This is fucking uh, great. Reconnaissance <laughs> in occupied Europe against Axis powers. And then, as if all that wasn't enough to make your jaw drop, he went on to become a Nazi hunter. Using his amazing talents with language, Lee worked with the Central Registry of War Criminals. Sadly, this meant he also saw the horrors of concentration camps firsthand. And this is a quote from him. I've seen many men die right in front of me. So many, in fact, that I've almost hardened to it. Having seen the worst that human beings can do to each other, the results of torture, mutilation, and seeing someone blown to pieces by a bomb, you develop a kind of shell. But you had to. You had to. Otherwise, we would never have won. Mm. If that doesn't hit you like a ton of bricks, man. Yeah, man. would. But that just lets you know how deep of a heart he had underneath all that armor he's talking about. Exactly. Yep. Lee then retired from the RAF in 1946 with the rank of flight lieutenant. He was individually decorated for battlefield bravery by the Czech, Yugoslavic, British, and Polish governments. Fuck yeah. Yep. And here is the remarkable part of all this. We haven't gotten to end to what has made him famous yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if your minds aren't blown yet, I'm not sure you have one. Topic three, his acting career. So... What's a one? What's a young warrior to do with an impressive service record? He knew he didn't want to work in an office, and even turned down an offer to teach at a university. Again, twenty-four. Yeah, mm-hmm. twenty-four. <laughs> uh, he yeah, found but he's one of those twenty-fours with sixty years of experience that employers are looking for. Exactly, he's the gold yeah. standard of men. 
<laughs> right? It really seems that way, yeah. That's a really high bar. <laughs> he found himself dining with his cousin, the Italian ambassador to England, Niccolo Cardini, and at the Italian embassy. Yes, well, most of us spend family dinners with our cousins trying to keep that one overpassionate uncle from bringing up uncomfortable subjects. He spent the dinners in the Italian embassy. <laughs> with probably a actually active member of that political system so yeah i'm sure he heard his fair share oh i'm sure he did i bet yeah. you he, i bet you he held his own in political debate i bet you that motherfucker was well informed and articulate of course he was with the, with pensive thoughtful positions on things yep mm-hmm mm-hmm And it seems we have his cousin to thank for what came after, because it was during this visit that his cousin brought up acting. When asked if he had ever considered it, Lee responded with, no, I don't think so. To which Cardini suggested he consider it. And lucky for all of us, he did. (laughs) His mother, however, was against it. She thought it was far beneath his social station. Oh, yeah? Yep. But as always seems the case with Lee, once he made his mind up, he wouldn't be stopped. So around 1946... Or 47, sometime in that, he joined the Rank Organization, a British entertainment conglomerate, and he learned from one of their schools. He started picking up bit parts despite his height being a bit of a problem for casting directors. Wait, how tall is he? Six foot five. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Yeah, yeah he, I think um, he actually held the record for a while for being the tallest leading man. He, no shit. Yeah. Tom, they got Tom Cruise out here standing on milk crates. This <laughs> motherfucker's still over him. Yeah. Well, they actually, um, I have here too, that he would sit uh, for his scenes sometimes to hide how tall he was. They'd have him Jiminy read Christmas. Yeah. In uh, 57, this was when he became a horror movie icon for his role in Hammer horror films. For those who don't know, Hammer yeah. was a director. Yes. And the Hammer Horror films are iconic. If you're a horror fan and you don't know about them, you need to go educate yourself. The bright red blood. The the tone yes. down everything and the bright red blood. Mm-hmm. That is one of the biggest visual attributes of Hammer Horror. Yeah. I yeah. love it. Yeah. In fact, they, they largely credit the kind of iconic image we have in our heads of Dracula with the blood dripping from his fangs to Lee himself. So... Mm-hmm. Um, his first role was in one, actually, as the Frankenstein's monster. This became a hit, and in 1958, we were gifted with Lee's performance as the iconic Count Dracula. And this, for many, many years, was the role that defined his career and launched him into fame. His charming and pretensive tra- portrayal drew audiences in. He was quoted as saying, It brought me a name, a fan club, a secondhand car, for all of which I was grateful. Dang. Yeah. Humble. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. That was too perfect. My dog makes different noises. <laughs> you have to be a cop too. <laughs> has a broken howl too where it's like he will do that mm. and then immediately forget how oh. <laughs> and it's, it's like you know howl.exe has failed to start yeah. 
right, part two of the Christopher Lee episode. We're back. We're back. Now I gotta figure out where I was. Expecting a lot more dramatic, but you know. Oh no, no! If 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 <laughs> the, I I get these random flourishes to turn it on, and then Brenna usually goes with it. <laughs> just, but just let I can't ride. I can't take away from the the I can't top the the majestic nature of Christopher Lee. There's nothing I can. There's no, no intro there's that's can good do. enough. Like <laughs> just, let this let this man's story speak for itself. Holy crap! Yeah, already has. No, and we're barely into it. Like. This is crazy. Uh, yeah. This dude's about to turn up the heat. Yes, I suppose his acting career. I, his military history is so fascinating to me, though. Like, I had I had a lot of fun researching it and looking into it. and Because it's an aspect where I've heard mentioned, but I hadn't really gotten into detail before. I hadn't realized. Well, this is like you know. finding out that George Washington had a acting career after mm-hmm. or something. You know what I mean? Or like, <laughs> yeah, Napoleon was secretly creating, you know, yeah, exactly. absurd cinema or something. Ugh. And the fact that he did, you know, he became famous on horror movies is my love. Like, oh man, yeah, <laughs> yep. And he both loved and hated it. Well, you it know? was such an. It was such a shallow unexplored genre at the time like there were some really deep good films going back you know yeah. even into silent movies you know the Nosferatu the man who laughs all kinds of stuff like that like there's some great ones but like that generation of horror movie you know the Hammer films and, and the Romero and like all of them are so close and you can see Oh, you can just see all the inspiration draw up from... Anyway, go ahead. Explain, <laughs> explain that stuff. Because I fucking love this part. Like, yeah. Oh. So, as we said, for many, many years, the Dracula would be his kind of career-defining um, moment. However, there were drawbacks. He played Dracula over ten times in Hammer films. And when he tried to leave... In his own words, he was blackmailed into staying by having the jobs of the crew used as a threat against him. The writing for the character got worse and worse, and he hated the awful scripts he was given. He was so appalled by the awful dialogue in 1965's Dracula, Prince of Darkness, that he actually refused to speak the lines, which is why, if you watch it now, he doesn't speak a, t- a word the entire film. <laughs> yeah. I thought this was a silent movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. You want me to talk? Give me something to say, but I'm not saying this shit. Uh, yeah, no, no. <laughs> I respect it. I I'd respect rather stand it. here and look fucking awesome yeah. than say those fucking lines. I'm just not going to do it. No. Yep. Despite the iconic role, he didn't really consider himself an actor until 1958 with a role in A Tale of Two Cities, um, which he played the Marquis de Sade. Okay. As um, the role. So, in 1962, in that bizarre Hollywood way, he was denied a role for the film *The Longest Day*, which is a John Wayne film. Okay. A war film, because they didn't believe he would be convincing as a military man. Hilarious. Let that sink in. A man who sabotaged Nazi planes was not military enough for Hollywood. That is irony. Yeah, yeah. that's how you get whitewashing and shit, bro. Uh, (laughs) He also played the, speaking of, the now controversial role of the criminal mastermind Dr. Fu Manchu. Yeah. 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 No one's perfect. Uh, So, I... uh. 
1965 to 1969, the character was created based off of Victorian-era magician called Chung Lee Su, who was actually also a white male. Oh, cool. Yeah, speaking of whitewashing, wow, that was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if it's the guy I'm thinking of, he was a dick. Oh, yeah? Yeah, if it's the guy I'm thinking of, he actually, a, a actual Chinese magician. Okay. Was going around and somebody, like, pitted them against each other. And the the actual Chinese magician called the other guy out and said, you weren't Chinese, bro. Mm. And... <laughs> You know, he go and he was like stealing tricks from Chinese magicians and things like that, and nobody did anything about it, you know, or cared. Okay. So he would actually get people to turn on his victims. So what kung fu movie is this? Eh, right. <laughs> this definitely sounds like the plot of like all of a sudden these magicians have their own clan mm-hmm. of kung fu, and you get to see like the fist of the white rabbit and shit. That'd be great. <laughs> no, nothing like that. Probably anyway, in 1970, he was to narrate a film based on the, his character from The Tale of Two Cities, the Marquis de Sade, but the role turned out to be an horrific embarrassment for Lee because he learned after it was released that it was a softcore porn. Oh. Yeah. Oh, man. So he did everything. He even <laughs> did porn. Unknowingly or not, the man did it all. Yeah, so uh, he was speaking of Hammer films. I bet you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that you're wrong for that, but it's brilliant. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but since he didn't realize this till after the film's release, he really couldn't do anything about it. After this, it almost feels like he was owed a more dignified role or two. Lucky he got them. Um, during that same year, he also played Sherlock Holmes' older brother, Mycroft. He actually credits this role with breaking him from the t- from being typecast as in horror films. He actually would play three Sherlock Holmes characters over his career. He played Mycroft, Sherlock himself, and Sir Hen- Henry Baskerville. Oh, nice. Yep. The and, Hounds of Baskerville. Uh, yes. And then he came... And then came the role... In the original Wicker Man, a now cult classic that's considered one of the best films Britain has ever made, according to the YouTube channel Biographics, with my YouTube crush, Simon Whistler. Uh. Until you see the Nicolas Cage version and it ruins it for life. Yeah, no, I won't. I won't. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah. Oh, it's funnier than it is anything. Mm-hmm. Oh. He played many more roles in James Bond films and as the villain in Three Musketeers and its sequel. In 1977, he moved to the United States and began working in film. He even hosted an episode of Saturday Night Live. This appearance actually led him to be offered a spoof of his one of his previous films. And this little-known comedy was Airplane. Uh, yeah. <laughs> little-known was sarcasm there, for those who don't know. Because this is an older movie, so some of our audience probably isn't going to know what Airplane is. If you haven't seen it, you need to. It's oh, yeah. fucking hilarious. It's one of those movies that stands the test. It, it does. It really does. A uh, Later, he turned it... Well, as he turned, he turned it down in a move he later regretted. And the role went to Leslie Nielsen. Which, to be honest, thank you. Yeah, Leslie Nielsen did a great job. But I, I would love to see Christopher Lee in a comedy role. 
Uh, okay, and the reason I like... Uh, oh, geez. The reason I like uh, Leslie Nielsen so much is in that movie is the straight way he delivers it. So I can only imagine Christopher yeah. Lee delivering some of those lines. Exactly, with that dignified and, bearing, yes. you know? And that deep fucking voice. Oh, yes. Yeah. Sadly, he turned down a few other roles I would have loved to see him in. Such as Dr. Sam Loomis in Halloween. Oh, that would have been cool. Yeah, 1978. And as King Baylor in Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. Oh, wow, that would have been great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that movie was on the on the edge for Mr. Del Toro. And I'm, 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 kind of, I'm very much a fan, especially of that, you know, series. But, yeah. oh, yeah, the weakest... Visually, though, I loved it. Oh, yeah. Every one of his movies is visually gorgeous. Yeah. But. Yeah, that one was uh, a little rough story-wise. Mm-hmm. He also turned down the role of of Grand Moff Tarkin in Star Wars. Um. The role instead went to his friend Peter Cushing. Mm Mm-hmm. Lee, of course, did did go on years later to play the role of Count Dooku. Um, Cushing at the time also, or Cushing also had played Frankenstein's monster, much like his friend. And in a fun little twist, um, he was also friends with Boris Karloff, who was of course credited with making the role famous in his golden era Hollywood version in 1931. So, yeah. So this is where he starts forming the Avengers, right? Mm Mm-hmm, pretty much. Okay. (laughs) I won't go too much more into his career because honestly, it's the script's getting pretty long, and uh, it, I could go on and on and on about it. Lee was in so many movies that he—I I don't know if it's true or not. I know he's been given the credit, and he's said it himself that at the time he has been in the most films in Hollywood and or in the world. So he's got to be on that list. Yeah. It was like 238 roles, I think. So he's done a fucking lot. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Prolific, to say the least. Like... Yes. As a human being. Well, he did a bunch of uh, roles in Tim Burton films, too, which, what a fucking fit. Wasn't he in the Johnny Depp Sleepy Hollow? Yes. As like a random judge character? Yes, he was. Yeah. No. But... Now we're going to talk about the role that made him memorable in modern in modern times. As I'm talking about this role, er, yeah, starting back. But I'll talk about the role that made him memorable to modern day audiences. Yes, I'm talking about his role as the evil white wizard Suriman in the epic Lord of the Rings trilogy. And you know I have to talk about it because it's such a mind-blowing moment, so I'm going to. While filming his character's death scene, the director, Peter Jackson, was coaching him to scream as his character was stabbed in the back. He asked Jackson if he'd ever seen a man get stabbed in the back. When Jackson replied no, Lee responded, well, I have, and I know what to do. Long! Yup. Oh, wow. And then proceeded to I don't need your directorial fucking (laughs) suggestions. I am an actor! (laughs) I shall act! (laughs) Sorry, P, anybody listening with headphones. <laughs> Sorry. I was possessed by those. 
ounce of the spirit of Christopher Lee. You just got to drop. If I would have got the whole thing, I would have taken over a country. (laughs) I'd be president already. He then proceeded to explain to Jackson, while everybody else on set fell silent, that the knife would puncture a lung, making screaming impossible, and that at most, the victim would let out a groan. Mm. Oh. Wow. Right? No. Let me tell you what's dramatic, and let me tell you what's real. (laughs) And he saw that in person. Yeah. At some point in his life. No, he said saw that to the director. What he really meant was have done that. There was a Nazi once in North Africa. Mm-hmm. Right before I bombed his plane. <laughs> to get close enough, I did it with a fucking pencil. <laughs> and then he used that same pencil to write a fucking epic love letter. <laughs> He's fucking crazy. <laughs> You're just writing Christopher Lee's mythology out. (laughs) And I have to bring up to that on top of all Lee was capable of and all he accomplished, he was also an opera singer. Oh, and he was a fan of metal music. Tom, don't get ahead of me. That's literally in my script because I knew what you would do. (laughs) I just can't see him. He's grinning. It is. It is. Some epic examples of the art form. Yes. He actually became a fan of the genre in the 70s after hearing Black Sabbath. And in 2005, he provided narration for the Rhapsody of Fire song Magic of a Wizard's Dream. Then in 2006, he released his own operatic album, Revelation. And then again, in 2010, he worked with Man o War as they re-recorded their 1982 album, Battle Hymns. He also released his own metal album titled Charlemagne by Sword and the Cross. And the lead single was Let Legend Mark Me as King. And he released, and this re- was released on his 90th birthday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sir, hail to the king. <laughs> That's I hope, all I have to say. I hope not to be shitting in a diaper at that age. That motherfucker's like, I think I'll put out metal music. Exactly. <laughs> oh, God. He released his a second album titled Charlemagne, The Omens of Death. And he was also a fan of metal Christmas music. Not relevant. I just found it interesting and kind of wonderful. I bet your fucking Christmas morning in the Lee household was lit. <laughs> right? <laughs> Opening gifts to pounding. Jingle bells! Jingle bells! <laughs> Fuck yeah! I'm so down for it. I know! <laughs> Oh, God. I can't wait till they get to the drum solo in in Winter (laughs) Wonderland. Lee was quoted in an interview with Metal Hammer saying, I have a great belief that things, no matter what they are, music, literature, and anything in life, should come from time to time, surprise people, and that's what I believe in, surprising people. Heavy metal has, since its very beginning, surprised in the best sense of the word, and people all over the world. To be involved in that and to show people that even now I can still surprise my audience, <laughs> it's very important. I've spent my entire career taking risks. Acting is a risk. It has to be. I've never been afraid, and I've never and I've done my best to take those risks. Damn. Yeah. I know. 
right? I bet you that guy's been in some epic fist fights at bars. Oh, God. Okay, so everybody has their list of, like... You know, celebrities or people you could resurrect and drink with? Yes. 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 Oh, I knew, yeah. The resurrect and beer list. Oh, yeah. 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 Chris Lee's at the top of it. Like, All right. I really... I just to sit and listen to him talk. Mm-hmm. Another person, he's not dead, but I would still very much like to sit and have a beer with him at some point, um, is Stephen Fry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's another one. Pendulette for uh, me. Yes. Very much. If I had to pick an alive one, too, yeah. Pendulette, man. I would. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a he, big one. He said something for me that helped my whole outlook on life. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, I don't believe in, in in luck. Luck is just probability taken personally. Mm. And so it's like, oh, you know, bad stuff keeps happening. I'm just, I'm just full of bad luck. It's like, nope, it's just taking the probability personally. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, been great. I love that. I do really like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. He was an epic soldier, an epic actor, and an epic musician. A wonderful blend of an artist, a warrior, and a scholar. To me, people like Christopher Lee are an endless source of inspiration. He is my king muse. Just ignore the fact that muses were traditionally women. But the one thing he wasn't... Don't be sexist. Exactly. (laughs) But the one thing he wasn't was immortal. At 8.30 a.m. on June 7th of 2015, he passed away at Westminster Hospital after being admitted with respiratory and heart problems. I know that every light eventually goes dark, but I'm glad I was around to experience a little bit of Christopher Frank Carandini Lee's spark. And that's his very condensed tale. Yeah. Yeah. Like every other artist that has to come to an end at some point. Boy, did that man make a fucking career out of everything. Yeah. Lived more life before his mid-twenties and some people will live in their entire lives yeah. to transform that into all kinds of other opportunities and and adventures and like man could you you know not knowing like yeah. I, I just I can't it leaves you at a loss of words that guy went to so many places and ascended to the top of, of, of so many things it's oh yeah iron will yeah and, uh, like, there's so much more that I wish I could include on him, but I, as I said, like, the script was already running longer for what we usually write, and I couldn't, like, I was like, oh, man, how much more do I want to put? Like, I can't put every single detail, but there was just so many little things, and, like, p- interviews with people who were around him, and everybody talked about enjoying their experience around him you know um they would talk about just his presence and his sharp wit and how just being around him was an experience in and of itself i bet you that guy got mad laid (laughs) i'm sure he was very handsome i mean damn and that voice and as smooth as he was dealing with Literally everyone, by all accounts. Like, mm-hmm. have you seen pictures of him when he was young? Oh yeah, I've watched the yeah. films too. When he was like, you know, just in that peak prime, like mm-hmm. that. Mm, yep, yeah, oh yeah. yeah. No, I'm not afraid to admit, like, <laughs> handsome men are handsome. You know what I mean? Like, exactly, and he definitely was, and in a way that was just like I root for handsome guys, <sighs> like people root for quarterbacks and shit. Like, <laughs> score another one. <laughs> Woo! 
I can't throw that ball either. Oh, God. <laughs> so do you think he called his private porn stash the Hammer Films? No. No, we're not going there. He was 6'5". I bet you, I bet you he had himself a, a, a bit of a pace. He was probably oh my God. so perfect. He was probably so fucking perfect. He was tall, handsome, and blessed beneath the back. Like, I bet you it was fucking amazing. Yeah. I'm just saying, I bet you there was just a wake of pleasured women behind him. Just, they could have made movies about that. Probably. But from what I understand, he was very, very devoted to his wife. Very much in love with her. And I bet you she was the most sexually satisfied person on the planet. <laughs> I bet you he was. I bet you he was. I bet you he only had eyes for her. But I bet you when he turned down the hordes of other whores out there, he did it in the most smooth and tactful way possible. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Oh, God. Reading some of his comebacks, like, just this off-the-cuff stuff, I'm like, oh, my God, dude. I bet you he delivered it. In the driest, deepest way possible. And I bet you if he did get dramatic, it was just a master class in, in watching someone handle a, a social situation under which someone needs to be assertive. Yeah. Like, a guy like that, the commanding presence, the... Oh, come on. Oh, it's not fair. Like, I'm so glad somebody got all of it. Like, if he was a and d character, he was perfect roles on that character sheet from beginning to end. And what he didn't do, he made up for in story. He was awesome. Yep. Yep, and I, I love every bit of it. All of it. It's His life story is so epic, it just doesn't almost seem real. Like, people like this just don't seem real. But he well, it's was like there. You, we've he talked about it before. Like humans, humans just tend to suck on average. Yeah. So, seeing some great examples of humanity, like yeah, he had his flaws. Don't we all? Like mm-hmm. let a per let a let one perfect person go ahead and and, and say something bad against him, mm-hmm. and then we can start there. But like, whatever, man. For for what he did, and the length of his career, and the length of his life, like. Yeah. It's a fucking... It's its own story. It's its own unbelievable tale. Yeah. Oh, jeez. So, um, something I didn't talk about, too, is he actually did a movie where he played the founder of Pakistan. Okay. And it didn't become one of his bigger roles, but it's one role he was very, very proud of. Mm-hmm. And there was initial criticism, especially, of course, from the Pakistani people about, you know, being whitewashed kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but they said that his performance was so amazing and he was so respectful in his approach to it that he eventually won everybody over. Hey, look, it happens every now and again. Nobody talks about Robert Downey Jr.'s Blackfish and Tropic Thunder because it was pretty great and <laughs> nobody was offended. <laughs> it, well, it was also very self-aware, too. It, it, it called itself out on what it was and it was... Oh, it was, it was so lampooning perfect. that, and it I loved so it. It was so perfect. Yeah. Oh, God. Robert Downey Jr. is just brilliant, too. And he's another one I've thought about covering at some point. Cause, oh, yeah. Yeah. He, we'll talk about the wicked side, man. Mm-hmm. Like, early years, drug addiction. Yeah. Careless and reckless behavior. To turn it all around. Mm-hmm. To be one of the most iconic roles of its generation. To Do you know what one of my favorite roles that he was in was? What? 
Charlie Bartlett. Yeah, the principal. Yeah. Yep. He was so good in that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was a fucked up... He played a fucked up character, but he did yeah. it so believably. Yeah. No, I agree. I like that movie, too. I love that movie. That's one of those, I think, underrated movies. Did you hear how the main actor in that one died? Yeah. Oh, my God. Could you imagine being and crushed by your own car in your driveway? Yeah. Like, oh my god, that is and so bad. All accounts, like, because he, he was also playing in all the um, Star Trek films and everything like that. Like, his career was only going up. And mm-hmm. he's such, he was such an amazing actor. And just a freak accident so young. I know. So young. And by all accounts, like, one of the sweetest human beings that ever graced the planet. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. Ugh. Yeah. There, God, that's the thing. At least with 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 Christopher Lee, we got a full lifetime, you know, to really look at and see what somebody with with that kind of talent could do. And you know. so, how old are you? Sixteen. You've got eight years to get <laughs> to get your fucking shit together, boy. <laughs> you want to call yourself a man? <laughs> we need you to go ahead and step it on up there. The bar has been set. <laughs> Let's go. We need to get you in a world war, boy, right now. Let's, uh... Oh, God. <laughs> you need to get a couple of businesses going for yourself right now. Um, yeah, no pressure or anything. <laughs> how's your metal singing? Need to... Oh, God. Think about all of that, man. That All those experiences. I, this is... Part like what he talks about risk though I I felt that I yeah. felt every part of that you know because quitting a traditional job to do tattoo full time right was a huge risk yeah a huge risk but I don't regret it I love it I love what I do right but it's that sometimes you got to look out to the abyss and and you got to acknowledge the fact that you you might fail yeah you might fail hardcore. Yeah. But is it worth it to still even try? Uh, yeah. Well, you you can never... I mean, okay, the safest bet is on yourself, right? If yeah. you know you and you know you're a hard worker and you know you're going to come through, the safest bet is on yourself. But mm-hmm. it still is that it's the scary transition of this is what I've been doing for so long and this mm-hmm. is how I fed myself and this is how I've advanced myself to this point. But now... yeah. I've got to take this, this on, and I've got to do this and shift all of my energy this way. And well, and then oh, yeah. from a professional standpoint, it's also like for an artistic standpoint in general, it's terrifying to put your work out there, mm-hmm. and, and no matter in what form, it's it's even terrifying for me to do this because, like, this is history that we're talking about. Everything is well documented, re- well researched. You know. And if you're wrong, the internet will correct you. Oh, yeah. You know, so understanding that I am not a professional, I still want to do the best that I can to present something worth listening to that is accurate. Yeah, it's you called know? having standards. Yeah. Not enough people have standards of both behavior and performance. Mm. But it's it's that taking that risk and putting it out there anyway and doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. And that's... But that's what gives you the odds of yeah, Gamble being successful. Mm-hmm. Standards, performance. Yeah, you know you've got to put the time in to practice what you're not good at, what you are good at, to develop in a direction for an art style to 
whatever it is, you know, yeah. you have... And actually, that reminds me of somebody said, um, I, I can't remember where I saw it recently. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was in an article or something like that. But it was something to the effect of interest is not the same as intent. True. Somebody may be interested in something, but being casually interested in something is not the same as the intent for the hard work behind something. Oh, 100%. I feel that way about computers. Um, yeah. I, I do little things here and there with Linux and quote-unquote hacker stuff. Just mm-hmm. I, because I want to know what that stuff is to some degree. I don't necessarily want to be Neo from the Matrix tomorrow writing yeah. code and hacking into the CIA database. Yeah. Like, I'm just casually interested in it, but it's not something I'm trying to make a career out of. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm interested, but I have no intent with it. Yeah. Now, so we have the problem a lot with um, in the in the tattoo world. So you have people who are not serious. Oh yeah. That come in all the time because they want what they perceive to be like a rock star lifestyle, you know, and they want all all of the accolades and all of the attention, but they don't want to put in any of the hard work. Oh yeah. And then they realize, oh fuck, this is a lot of hard work. Like it, it's a career that consumes your life, yeah. you know, and you spend so much time learning. You cannot have. And it's one of the reasons that I I, I, did, I don't like shows like Ink Master. I really don't. Yeah. Because it only shows you the ego after the fact. Yeah. So people think that that's how you go into tattooing. No, it falls this is, out. This is what a, 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 an established artist can look like, but it's usually exactly. a dramatic interpretation, which is bad for the industry. Exactly. As a whole, it that that showed us so much to hurt the artist, the image of tattoo artists and artists in general. Mm-hmm. On the whole. You know, yes, I, I can give it credit for perhaps making tattoos be more accessible and mainstream to the public. I can give it that credit. Mm-hmm. But in its choice of presentation and ethics, I completely disagree with how it runs things. I, I, I do not like the show. And I've had several people that are like, oh, I want to sit down and watch this with you. And I'm like, you do not. You don't. <laughs> you don't. You know, maybe if, well, maybe if you enjoy my anger, because Emma describes me as hilariously angry when I'm angry. So... Fair. So maybe you do just to watch my blood pressure rise yeah. as I scream at the TV. I say Emma's not even watching the show. She's just watching you watching the show. Pretty much, yeah. So I, but I won't do it. I, I just, I dislike it so much because of of the negative impact that it has and the negative image that it gives, especially young people aspiring to be tattoo artists. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, then they come in with like nuts swinging, like. Look at me. I'm the best thing ever. You don't know Jack. You yeah. don't know shit. But you want to come in here and act like you know more than the people who are supposed to be teaching you. You can fuck right off. Like, that unwillingness to learn equals failure. You have to be humble enough to learn your craft. That's just a life story there. Yeah. That's that's anything. Yeah. You can't... You've got to be... Well, you've just got to understand that, like, everything is a learning process. You're always developing, and if you're well, doing it right, you're always going into something new and tr- expanding and moving. And Yeah. And I by no means consider myself a master of it. I, I'm, I'm always learning. Every day. Constantly. I'm constantly researching. I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly trying to be better than I was the day before. And if you can't do that, if you don't have that within yourself, don't waste anybody's goddamn time. I mean, you know, I think... There's so many small business people who can feel that, mm-hmm. you know, who, who understand that, mm-hmm. you know, they're putting everything on the line for it. They are dealing with, you know, a few employees or none or whatever it is, but they're dealing with vendors and suppliers and, 
you know, oh, yeah. contracts and, and, and customers and they're trying to do all of this and mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's all, there's no, I shouldn't say there's, well, there's an exception to every rule, but there's no easy way out for any of us. No. It's all forward. Like there was no easy way out for Christopher Lee. It was a world fucking war. It was, yeah. I mean, to be fair, you know, he may have had a little golden spoonish you know, silver spoonish upbringing. Yes. But like, none of us get to pick our upbringing, so it's hard to hold that against someone. But to come out the other end and seem like a fairly well-balanced, hard-working, upstanding human being. Yeah. And to be fair, like, none of that led to his military career. Yeah. None of that led to his acting career. His mother didn't even support him. Like... Right. He built those things on his own. Through his own experience. Through his own suffering. Through his own hard work. And that, to me, speaks volumes. Yeah. You know? I I have such a deep respect for the people that build things with their own two hands, you know? And I, I don't know. I, I'm really excited. And I know everybody is, like, doom and gloom about the state of the world right now. But I'm really, really excited to see how many new entrepreneurs are out there every day mm-hmm. using the resources that they have pulling themselves out of shitty jobs and making a living doing other things like I mean, working from yeah. home and building from home and using the internet as the wonderful tool that it can be for small business is one of the biggest businesses in out America, of it. Yeah. And it, we get new ones every day. And unfortunately some of those come up and some of those go down. Uh, it's, it's the way of nature as it yeah. were, but like, but it also offers this great, like market. Oh yeah. You know, as uh, you oh, can I love pick things. and choose now based off of like, okay, look, I feel like this um, company is more ethical. Like, if, for example, makeup. Makeup's a great industry to see this on. You'll see. Um, oh, I know all about the makeup industry. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> you'll see um, makeup people who manufacture makeup who are not like either they aren't a good person or they aren't making the the makeup in an ethical way. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, or they're doing dangerous things like repackaging, or, you know. Right. A whole lot of that. But there's so many different makeup creators out there now that you can pick and choose. If you don't like this one, you don't have to buy from it. You can mm-hmm. get the same quality somewhere else from somebody or a company that you can respect. That's part of the. That's one of the things of capitalism I love is. Uh, yeah, when well, we I actually get, have capitalism. I get to yeah so. the places where I still have choices. Like I love that I have choices. You mm-hmm. know, I can, I can buy for small. I can buy custom. I can buy you know. Yeah, but this is why I don't. What I have such a problem with mega corporations because it kills that. It doesn't help it, but that's the thing. It didn't kill it because you have. Well, you so, still have going on. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's so the thing. That's you have so many things that spring up like Etsy or you know all the like there's been a, such a big resurgence in farmers markets and everything recently oh yes you've seen the butcher stores oh, just yeah so so many of them and it's so nice to see that like mm-hmm. yes they're out there but that's because for so long the populace gave them so much money mm-hmm. and then now as these other options and, and, and people who were raised on the big box generation stuff mm-hmm. come into their own adulthood and or maturity or however it is they they start looking for the other mm-hmm. alternatives they start going to the Amish guy in the country and getting half a cow for cuz have you seen the prices of beef recently it's insane yeah like it's it's one of those things where like i you can't hold down mm-hmm. the people who want to 
to ply their craft to do yeah. something. And that's the thing. Like we get, especially because we're both millennials, mm-hmm. and and that's all you hear is like, oh, millennials are shit and blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But it's our generation that's bringing that stuff back. Right. It's our generation that is making sure small business doesn't die. Yeah. You know, bringing things like. Um, Companies that make like weaponry, even like mm-hmm. armor, you can you can find that shit now. Like oh, dude, I was looking, different types. Of I was looking at bulletproof clothing. hoodies the other day, right? Just because <laughs> they're fucking cool. Like yeah, that sounds like some James Bond shit. Yeah, well, there's like, um there's a, a person that I read an article about yesterday that specifically has a clothing line that they make an affordable clothing line for disabled people. The clothes are all designed yeah, for their needs. Exactly. Which traditional clothes, of course, don't. But you like a giant manufacturing company isn't going to think of that. They're not going to market for a very niche market. Exactly. So the smaller person is. They're filling a demand that needs to be filled, and they're doing it in a beautiful way. And because and of technology, that. they can reach so many more customers. Exactly. And do more with it. And actually... Mm-hmm help people on a broader scale. And I, I love that. I love that these things are here. You know, I love that blacksmithing has come back in such oh, yeah. a big way. Metalwork is coming back in such a big way. Woodwork, knife making, yeah. all these. Have you seen the um the show on Netflix too? They had that um oh it's like a whole metal workers competition show. I I saw that it was up there. I hadn't watched it yet. Several of the um the contestants are from around here. Oh nice. Yeah. I believe that. So one of the finalists um, lives um, in, I don't want to say, it's only about two hours. I think it's St. Joe, St. John. Some, somewhere in that. That's something I've always kind yeah. of wanted to, to do to some degree. I've always wanted to at least, like, I want to make my own knife at some point. Oh, yes. You know what I mean? Make a yeah. couple. Or... Glass blowing is another thing I really want to do. Yeah. I want to make something really cool out of glass. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The only thing about glass blowing that scares me is getting buried. But to be fair, you probably have the same yeah, likelihood of black blacksmithing, if so. not worse. And yeah. you're making a knife so you can cut yourself. And we're both gingers, so we're more sensitive to thermal pain. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. <laughs> Fun fact. <laughs> oh, man. So many things to do <laughs> and so little time and no excuses because goddamn guys like Christopher Lee exist. Exactly. But, you know, it, it's why I started doing this. I didn't want to go through my life and say I didn't do this. I didn't have this experience, you know? It's why at some point I want to write a book. I don't know what I want to write about, you know? But I know I want to write a book and publish it just to say I've done it. Yeah. Even if it doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't have to be a success. I just want to be able to say I did it. I did it. it. Yeah, I did that. I'm an author. I'm a published author. Just because I wanted to be. I, I took my life and I squeezed every ounce I could out of it. Uh-huh. That's what I want. That is my same excuse for going and doing stand up. Like, every, you know, yeah. five minute fucking open mic shit. It's like, I don't care if it ever turns to money. I don't write hard enough or put enough into it to make it ever be that way. Mm-hmm. But I got them told jokes in front of people and have gotten laughs and loved it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I love that. It was fun. It was so, so cool much fun. That you do that. It was so much fun. And it's it's one of the best highs I've ever had in my whole life. Like be, it beats any drug. It beats any. But I just it's one of those things that I had to do because I had to do it. I just had to stretch out in that direction. Something in me was like, be creative, motherfucker, and go. Like it's so fitting for you too. I, I there's nothing about it that I don't love for you. Ah, fair enough. So eventually, you just at least gonna have to let me go once. 
I'll stand I, in the back so you don't even have to see I, me. That, I'll that leave is, right after so you don't I, even have to talk to me. That'll have to... That I, I just... I don't know. I... I it is one of those things where performing in front of strangers helps me so much because it helps everyone become so faceless that I'm just, I hear your reactions and I don't really see anybody as an individual. You are the crowd mm. and I'm trying to work them like an instrument because I want them to make certain noises. So I have to make <laughs> certain noises at certain times with certain concepts in order to get this instrument to make its music. I get it. It's so weird. It's it's a <laughs> it is a weird how or how I experience comedy. I like it though. I like I like mm-hmm. every bit. I like watching it. I like watching open mic comedy. Yeah. Yeah, because you get to see some real funny people. You get to see some, and there's so many of them. Like, oh man, everybody gets five minutes, and you you've got you know eighteen twenty people, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and it is. To see the wide range of people who come through and are doing it and mm-hmm. like, you know, the the young to the old, you know, seeing just a generational gambit. There's the brotherhood amongst regulars mm-hmm. in an open mic scenario is a lot of fun. Yeah. Because it's a bunch of guys who have seen you stand up there and eat shit for five minutes. <laughs> and some of those guys were the only ones who got the jokes. And they might have been the only one in the room laughing. Yeah. But, like... So let me <laughs> ask you, in that scenario, even if you haven't made the crowd laugh, if you've made another comic laugh, does that still make it all worth it? Eh. Yes and no. It makes it taste less awful. But it's still awful? No, because sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> there are some of us who are masochist, or I guess sadistic in that aspect of, like, watching you eat shit is more hilarious than anything you could say. Like, ah. the, watching the excursion, like, have you, I don't know if you know the, the, the time dilation effect that happens when you are on stage and there is a light in front of you and you were talking to people no, I, and you are I attempting to elicit responses from them. Five minutes seems like the rest of your fucking life. <laughs> And when you are eating shit up there and not getting the responses you want, the time grows impressively long. (laughs) See, for me it's a little different because when I'm focused in on a tattoo, time passes incredibly quick. I have no concept of how much time I'm spending on something. Yeah. I really don't. I'm so focused in in the moment that I, what takes a couple hours feels like nothing to me. When I'm on a good joke and it's working and it's a and it's a one I only I only have a few that I've really built any kind of narrative around or have like any amount of time you know outside of some some good one liners I have a few that I know will take up the last four minutes of my act or whatever and I have to go through and explain them and get my ha has and mm-hmm. if when those are popping when those work that time goes quickly cuz i'm i'm knocking down the script you know what i mean mm-hmm. i'm 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 going through and i know to raise my voice here cuz punch and bam and get my reaction and then back to my story or whatever it is but i i i know that tune i know that dance i know what it should sound like on the other end and no it varies for crowd and type and like i know there you know there are just certain you could look out in the crowd and go well my how men have it harder for child 
making joke is probably not going to work with these college-age females sitting over here to my left. Like, it's probably not going to go over well, but we're going to give it a shot. So we're either going to eat shit for the rest of this time or we're going to go and get some laughs. Make some believers. Mm. But I love that gamble. Throw those dice. Let's see. If, <laughs> am I going to piss these people off or are you going to laugh? Because honestly, I, I don't. I like it either way. You could you be mad at me. That's all right. Oh, Just God. know I thoroughly enjoy it. Either <laughs> way. Yeah. Oh, oh, talk about me. Let me run around your head rent-free. Uh, <laughs> usually the people who are mad at me, I love running around their head rent-free. It's a wide open and empty space that I often have room to frolic and play in because there's nothing else going on up there except an imaginary hatred of me. No. It's no. beautiful. I don't this frequently. I have a few people who I know don't care for me. and I'm, I'm one of them. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Yeah, most of it is, I found, I, I feel like in those cases, it's people who I, and it's always harder when it comes from this direction, but it's people who I initially respected, and then, despite that respect, they twisted intent. Mm-hmm. And... I have a really hard time with that. You know, for me, it comes down to if you are prone to thinking the worst possible thing of me, I do not need you in my life. You know, if you don't know me better than that, then I don't need you in my life. And if you're somebody who's seeking that from me, I definitely don't need you in my life. Right. You know, if no, you are looking for me to fail, if you are looking for my flaws, if you are actively seeking these things out, then you need to reevaluate yourself because you're unhappy with you and I make you uncomfortable. And that is not my fault. Right. No, and, I get and that. that. That's the thing that gets to me. My presence is not a problem. It's your reaction to my presence. Oh, man. And that, that it gets to me that people want me to change and dull my light. So that they feel more comfortable in it. See, Cat Williams made me feel great about that. He's like, if you haven't earned at least three or four haters by breakfast, what the fuck are you even doing? Yeah. Like, you exactly. know, you, you know, you're successful when people are looked are trying because somebody else said it was um, the least successful t- people around you will be the big, the loudest ones talking shit. Yeah. Like, Oh, yeah. Like, uh, my, I may not be the most successful person I know or whatever, but my progress is steady and sure, and I am going to fucking get there. Yeah. So. And that's where I'm at, too. You know, I, I've seen other people that have taken off in a faster trajectory than I have, and good for them. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm going to take my journey at my pace the way I feel I'm like gonna it. I'm going to earn every step of my journey. Exactly. I'm not going to take any shortcuts, and I'm going to fucking get there. Yep. Yep. And I'm I'm gonna fall down. I'm gonna. And thank fail God sometimes. our parents were poor, so we don't get the silver spoon thing, right? We get to do this shit the hard way. Yeah. I mean, no. I, wish. <laughs> I could have used a few easier spots here or there. Oh, but... I could have used a Lamborghini at sixteen too. But... <laughs> I don't mean that easy. But fuck you, I want it easy. <laughs> no, it's one extreme or the next. I'm either Oliver uh... Twist working my fucking life away, or I want to be Bill Gates' kid. We're, we're both fans of Avatar, and it's one of my favorite quotes from Avatar, was Zuko talking about his sister, Azula. Mm-hmm. And he, he said that his dad said that she was born lucky, and he was lucky to be born. Uh-huh. And he said, but you know, I'm glad, because I've had to work for everything. Mm-hmm. 
And it means so much more because of that. Mm-hmm. You know, so yep. from that perspective, absolutely. You know, but that's, that goes in the other thing of like, I hate being told that, you know, my generation is lazy or unmotivated and or blah, blah. It's like, shut up, you know, because I've worked with people who've been in industries 30, 40, 50 years who've sat on their ass collected better pay and better benefits than me, all while criticizing every move I made. Oh, yeah. You know? And not doing anything. Just remember, all of these industries weren't built by us. They're just being made better. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, it's one of the, ugh, I hate it. I, because I've, I've killed myself at every job I've ever had. You know? And to have that stereotype placed on me is just infuriating it it gets me very upset very fast and i'm learning slowly to just deal i mean negative stereotypes don't make anybody happy yeah exactly and the thing too i think is that i don't remember where i heard this i think it was on a ted talk but somebody said the problem with stereotypes is that they're not necessarily untrue is that they're incomplete Mm -hmm. and they're out of context you know yeah so, yes, there are people from my generation like that. But there's also people from Gen X that are like that. There's also people from the generations, every generation before, that are like that. You're never getting rid of those people. They're always going to be there. But it's not indicative of an entire generation. That's why stereotypes are such great uh, fodder for comedy. Such exactly. easy fodder for comedy. Yes. Because they're incomplete. They're out of context, which is often the most absurd way to look at something, which... Mm-hmm. Entail is the funniest way to can be the funniest way to look at something if if yeah. if shown it with in the right light, with or without the proper amount of context. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's also to a point the art of <coughs> responsibility, no matter what we're doing, to make sure that we're doing it in a responsible way. Yeah. So. But yeah, and then we got young man over here who is aspiring to be a writer. No. Just single me out like that. Oh yeah, I'm going to. Just pass you the buck, bro. <laughs> we told you we were gonna pull you in at some point. I was wondering if you actually can go into. Oh yeah. <laughs> You're not getting that alive. What are you thinking? <laughs> it's a big negatory there, Ghost Rider. You are, uh, you are in it. <laughs> but the good news is you're still young, and you can you're still deciding if that's for you. So. I'm excited yeah. to see where it goes. So, I mean, hopefully I can publish a book, but... Oh, you will. If you want it, you will. Yeah. That's the only thing. There's no hopefully. If you want it, baby, you will. Well, I mean, hopefully I get finished with this. Hopefully you finish it. Uh, that's another kettle of fish. I, I get say, that. I'm hoping to get done with it soon. I have 26 so I half-finished there. projects around my studio right now. <laughs> I oh boy! That. <laughs> He's gonna have a pile of chapter one through four. Uh, <laughs> yep, I feel like that's a common thing for writers, though. Oh, I have no idea. Yeah, enough, enough of my friends that are writers have said that. Yeah, that they have a stack have, like, of like seven stories stuff they've the begun. Like, yeah, I have like six stories in the making that I still have yet to finish. How many have you actually finished? Well, I mean, I finished. I know I've read a few of them. Honestly, I've finished. Two, mm-hmm. and I have a short story that okay. I wrote. And, it's a, and that short story is more kind of a personification telling of how I felt my life was going until this point. Okay. I like that. Maybe sometime you guys can read it. I oh. have read several of your works, but yes, I'll read that one. 
I said my my first one, the depths wasn't. It was rough, but I mean, honey, every uh, all your first are gonna be rough. Every time you do something for the first time, fully expect it to be shit and learn to laugh at that because that's gonna be your best tool. I said, but my (laughs) one that's based off of Lou. I say, well, his real name is Lucy, but he goes Mm -hmm. by Lou in the story. That one's kind of his based off of me, and I'm hoping that can reach out to people who feel the way that I feel. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. there you go. And you won't know until you put it out there and take that risk. I so. did, and I just want you to know that as your uncle, I love and support you, and as soon as they make an audio book out of your shit, I'll listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> Read the goddamn thing. Uh, <laughs> I'd make a better audio book than anybody. I guarantee it. <laughs> Oh, shit. Yeah, that's... I always loved writing, but it's one of those things that I I can't finish a damn story. I'll start writing, and... (laughs) Fair enough. I'm like, I hit... My brain hits all the highlights, and then all the filler and everything in between. It goes, fuck that. And I'm like, you can't write a story that way. And my brain goes... But you're not did. writing yeah. it. <laughs> I just did. It's going to sit in a notebook on your shelf for 20 years. How about that? It looks more like a series of haikus. What the fuck? <laughs> exactly. Is this the beginning? Why is it at the end? What are you doing? <laughs> so, I don't know either. <laughs> that, that's, that's probably what I like most about my stories, though. There's no really filler. It just yeah. follows the story no matter what. Mm, you know, I don't point just, to point. So, yeah, I don't try and just add stuff in to make it longer. I try to get through that storyline because I feel like that's best. So you write from start to finish. Yeah. Oh, see, I don't do that. Honestly, I would probably I, I don't, be able I don't to try and swerve off the path because the more you swerve off the path, it's hard, the harder it is to get onto it. All right, so you're gonna teach me how to write now. <laughs> there you go. It's just it, I, I think the best way is to write about something you're passionate about. If you're already passionate about this character and you already have a like, clear image of it in your mind. Mm-hmm. Then you can make a beautiful story. Anybody can. It's it just depends like on the how you describe it. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. That's why I like reading the history scripts, though, because it's already crafted. I'm just researching. So right, <laughs> it's such a wild narrative that already exists out there, yeah. and then you know, just capturing the pieces for it and making something and that kind of tells the yeah right that tells the story to to any. To any like good, that. yeah, I say to any good degree, to any any uh, degree that does it justice, mm-hmm. its own art. But even then, I I tend to think like, how dare we speak on Christopher Lee's name? <laughs> <laughs> the rank amateurs. <laughs> but it's the, even if you're not doing something well, to still do it. I'm sure he would appreciate value. something like this. So. I'm sure he had to appreciate the upstart nature that is like podcasting and, mm. you know, oh, yeah. just the way you see webcomics and stuff nowadays and you see, you know, there's oh, so many yeah. ways for artists to get. God, that's a whole thing. I remember like webcomics being the shit. Mm. Like, oh, and this was before show. there were like apps where you had a ton of them. You could just scroll through and you had to go to a certain website and you had to have well, like, And you're hoping these artists and... are like either making bank of it or they're they're getting some kind of traffic through their own social media and turning that into something yeah. like but it to see them out there to the degree that you you see so many artists out there independent music artists uh, oh yeah you know you you see so many people out doing their their thing now it's great you know um this kind of brings me to like why i think the 
so many people have an issue like taking these things seriously too at the same time is because it, it's done outside an established system mm-hmm. in, a, in a new system in a new area in a new realm you know and mm-hmm. andrea and i've had quite a few discussions about this and about how you know the more outside of a system somebody has built something successfully the more people are going to be upset by it or find reasons to be upset by it Oh, yeah, there's plenty of that in the early days of podcasting, or even with yeah. major podcasters now. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I mean, within the radio industry while it was growing, you know. Yeah. There's so you know, TV, what, I mean, yeah, any any art, really, that mm-hmm. there's always somebody out there. I mean, I mean just look recently at, at uh, Chappelle Special. I mean, pushing boundaries across the board it it made some people terribly mad it made some people laugh hysteria it it is such a polarizing and relevant thing and an art for its time it's mm-hmm. you know it's it's supposed it's it does what art does it provokes it's you know what i mean i guess mm-hmm. everybody has a different idea of what certain aspects of art should do but like in my idea like comedy like Fifty percent of the people should be laughing. The other fifty percent should be fucking horrified. Like mm-hmm. you should be saying, you shouldn't just be, you know, catering to what is the funniest to to, to everyone. But like, yeah, let's let's see the the people who joke about niche things or whatever it is. But let's talk about the relevant issues and ah, uh, talk about something funny for the moment or something that solves something in the moment with comedy or provokes thought. See, that's why I like Daniel Sloss, though. Mm-hmm. He's the one that that I kind of gravitate toward for that. Mm. So, because he's tackled a few very very heavy topics, and he does it in a way that really challenges people to look at themselves and examine mm-hmm. it. He's got that whole bit about relationships where he has actually got a kill count of how many relationships that section that little bit of his comedy show has destroyed. Oh yeah, there you go. Like I've seen people tap out after this guy, so brace yourselves. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I can definitely understand that, like, using art to communicate ideas, good or bad, or however people perceive them, but... Well, specifically comedy, I've always felt like your your job is to... You think back to Lenny Bruce and stuff like that, like, mm-hmm. that guy said things that got him fucking arrested, like, mm-hmm. daily, nightly, whatever it was, like... True comedy is a renegade art form. It is speaking truth to power. It is saying the things that other people feel like they can't say, or it is expressing things. Yeah, I lo- I love it. It's a, it's the art form. It's like water. Mm-hmm. It fills every, it fills every container that it's put in completely, and it it it's it bends and it it it, dep- it comedy can be literally about anything it can be as funny as you know your dog running into the screen door or it can mm-hmm. be an elaborate joke mm-hmm. that has been constructed by somebody over time and tested in front of crowds and tweaked accordingly and mm-hmm. ah it's such a brilliant thing <laughs> I understand that let me guess Christopher Lee was also a comedian where's that in your notes <laughs> I, I guarantee he did um, stand up. He kind up. of was. Remember, he did that episode of SNL. Yeah, and he's he said it was he was very very nervous about that one because that was a whole new light that people hadn't seen him in. 
And you know what? I bet you, I bet you he was fucking fantastic. As like, I bet you that guy could sit down, kick a few drinks back, and tell some jokes that will fucking roll you. No, God, like, yes. there's no way. There's you can't tell me as 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 smooth of a conversationalist as he could be. Like, you can't tell me he wasn't funny as shit. Oh, I bet, I bet he was. Oh, and he probably had stories that would kill you. Mm-hmm. Like. You remember that one time in the trenches in World War One, or that time in Northern Africa that we were like, World War II, up, dear. Yeah, oh, sorry, sorry, World War Two, that we were burning up Nazis, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I lit that one on fire, and he ran around for half an hour. It was fucking crazy. <laughs> okay, for the record, we're not saying he did that. <laughs> I can only hope that some Nazi <laughs> fried for thirty minutes for the entertainment of Christopher Lee. I oh, feel like. God. That is an optimal human sacrifice for a man who deserves that kind of mythological treatment. <laughs> I swear you just you're gonna start writing your own. Yeah, it's gonna be like the it's, it's gonna be the, the Chuck Norris version of, of Chris Lee. Yeah, oh yes. Oh. He's actually he's actually not dead. He joined the first uh, colony on the dark side of the moon and. Is, <laughs> Currently running that as their president. So I love to, that thought. <laughs> yeah, just want to let you guys. Yeah, because of the lowered gravity, um, you know, life is extended out there. So he, yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna keep going if we don't stop. <laughs> you say you're not a writer. You just can't write shit down. That is the problem. You need a stenographer. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I've told you before, if you ever ask me to write anything for this podcast, it will be basically me dictating to the wife as she types it out because there's absolutely no way. That's all I right. just don't have the attention. I need talk to text software and all kinds of... Oh, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, um, I use Google Docs to write and they do have a feature, so that's... Yep. I'll often like read from my notes and dictate it that way because it's it's easier. Amen. So, but I like handwriting stuff out too. So, a lot of it is a mix of like from what I read and my sources and then my memories. Speaking of my sources, I don't think I listed any and I should. Other than forces.net, um, I did use Wikipedia to fill in some and then Rolling Stones had an article about Christopher Lee's death, which was very, very good and very moving. So, that's... Lovely. And then uh, Britannica.com, which is a, something I frequently go back to. It's a wonderful source. So I think that, that covered pretty much everything. That so how say. much of the British curriculum did they spend on Christopher Lee? That's what I want to know. He should be <laughs> mandatory in their education. He should be someone you have to He should to be mandatory about. in American education. <laughs> but I'm sorry. I do want to... There are so many people that should be that aren't. It's not even funny. Fair enough. I don't want to overstate, like, how awesome one person could be. Like, I know he didn't cure cancer or anything like that, mm-hmm. but, like... Probably could have. You, you, yeah, nobody ever asked him to, to be fair. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just... I, I do want to end on some sort of, like, the... Wonders that you can achieve in this world are limited by your own drive and willingness to do them. Mm-hmm. You know, you all you got to do is it's it's like you you know writing and everything. You you are a writer. You you are a writer. So therefore, just write. Like it's not a matter of publisher. It's not a matter of whatever. Like just write because you're a writer. You know, tattoo because that's the artist you are. You know. Yeah. 
I'll talk shit because that's the artist I want to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. be live every day as the person that you want to be and, 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 and advance on that. Be someone who is fucking legendary. Be somebody who's worth telling a fucking story about when you're gone. Exactly. Exactly. And if you're not doing those things, understand, you get one trip on this rock, and maybe now's the time. And as a dude who is fastly approaching that middle-aged life, man, it goes so fucking fast. It does, man. It don't, goes so goddamn fast. Like, Don't wait. Take the risk, Start man. grasping at days now, you know? Uh, yeah. I... Oh man, it's been a wild ride, but it ain't over. And there's there's always tomorrow, and there's always learning and growing and being better. And yeah, you know. and that's the other side of it too. Like you have to look at it from the perspective too of like you may not accomplish it all in the early half of your life, and that's fine. Mae you, West wasn't a sex icon until she was in her thirties. You may not accomplish it at you know? all, but it's the point of going and trying and doing. And mm-hmm. I may not ever accomplish shit when it comes to um, comedy or whatever, but and then my the, goal that isn't very high. To you know? how do you measure success? To whatever you're happy with. Exactly. Like if you're happy with the fact that you got up and did. A, a knocked out 10 squats in the morning or you did your yoga or you put a teaspoon less sugar in your fucking coffee like mm-hmm. take your successes and build on them you know what i mean exactly just always be hungry always move forward be be the christopher lee that you mm-hmm. see i don't know that was all that rhyming and stuff but <laughs> yeah go out there and christopher lee it every day man just what would fucking... christopher lee do i mean fair <laughs> fair yeah uh, yeah, but again, so that's part of um, why I wanted to tell this story, you know, especially Fantastic. I think on Halloween, it's a fun time. He's Dracula, Yeah, <laughs> you know, I love it. Him and Bella Lugosi are Dracula to me. So yeah, yeah. Um, it was... paint your faces and get that fucking candy. <laughs> Dress up like the slutty nurse. Live your life. <laughs> Don't be sexist. Guys need to dress up as slutty nurses, too. I am all for it. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll rock it. Great. Don't ruin that shit for with a, me. With God a, damn. I'd say with, <laughs> with, a pair, ah. with a pair of like male scrubs with the shoulders, you know, the sleeves cut <laughs> off, and a pair of Did new balances, but, like, but the me? fucking scrubs are cut up to Daisy Dukes, <laughs> and you're just oiled and muscular. Oh, I'm God. telling you, it is its own, it's its next male stripper craze, like, sexy in nurse. Years, in two years, uh, I'll be jacked. In two go. years, I'll be jacked, and I'll be dressed up as it. There you go, exactly. <laughs> he's gonna do this just to scar you. He's gonna, he's gonna revolutionize the industry on your, on your suggestion. God, I hate you both. All right. <laughs> So, on that note, <laughs> I'm going to go need therapy, but thank you for joining us again. Thank you for all our repeat listeners and everybody who's coming back, and thank you for anybody who is listening for the first time. We appreciate you and welcome. Thank you, everyone, for joining us in today's discussion, um, and you can follow us again on social media. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Wicked Side, and we won't discuss Facebook anymore, and... <laughs> Just forget that shit. Just, just forget it. Just da-da. forget that shit. So, all right. Well, we love you all, and thank you so much. And we'll see you on the other side. Hey guys, Christopher Leah. <laughs>